I'll be absolutely honest with you, Oliver. I didn't know what a podcast was, and I, 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 you know, I really thought it was some sort of splint thing. So <laughs> you put on after you've had a, an injury that you shouldn't have been doing, you know. Today, my special guest is a superb actor who, amongst a career spanning five decades, solved cases in over 200 episodes of The Bill. He's also an accomplished painter, voiceover artist and writer, proving his plenty of life after Sun Hill. Tom Kotcher, welcome to the Bill Podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. (laughs) I'm chuffed to be talking to you, and I first saw you act in a childhood staple of mine, uh, Sooty & Co. (laughs) My brother and I would run home from school to make sure we didn't miss an episode, and and that one was one that stuck out for us because of the location and how much fun it was and the fact that you were playing every guest character in the episode you played like four different parts well that was one of the most fun shoots i have ever <laughs> ever been on and the uh cameraman was a guy called roly luca who had been on the bill and he was one of the when you, if you go back to say hill street blues coming from america they started the steve botchko started doing handheld camera stuff and and uh, there was roly starting off in, in the uk and so when i worked with him on the bill it was great we became great chums and all that and then when I walked on, to, when I went to do Sooty, there he is. I mean, he's, he's not a tall guy, but, you know, and it was, it, I, there was one of the things, I remember I was having this scene, and it was with Sweep. And I don't think I worked with a with handheld puppet, but the director said something to me. I said, yeah, that's a good point. And I ta- instead of talking to the person at the end, whose arm it was, I talked to the puppet. And I said, you know, if I move just slightly to the right, is that all right for you? And I told I'm talking to This is ridiculous. And, and we went on, and we were filming it in the castle and the grounds down in the borders of Scotland. I think it was Fleurs, I can't remember. And our digs, well, my God, it was the shooting lodge converted. You know, most of the food was amazing. The grounds were parkland. And, of course, we being actors and crew, we had a jolly time. And the bar itself was the library. And all these sort of highfalutin people arriving for a holiday about, you know, in the evenings would see us with me leading the conga out of, <laughs> out of the bar into the car park, around the Rolls Royces and back in again, and dressed as, you know, goodness knows what. But, uh, no, it was a great shoot. And I just said, do you mind if I just go for it? They said, enjoy yourself. And that's what I did. I did my ben- I did my Benny Hill routine. I didn't know what I was doing as usual, but um, they seemed to like it, and they asked me to do another one. And then they said, "Would you write one?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, we'll give it a go." But the strange thing is, now here's the problem: if you're writing for something like Sooty, for ninety nine percent of the cast don't speak, so there's a lot of blank pages. Yeah. But you've got to you've got to work out the timings of each thing. So. My wife would walk past my study and she'd hear me going, hey, come on, sweet, and doing all the voices. And uh, she put a girl off my head. But no, it was, a, it was a good, great, fun time. And, and the director, God bless him, he's not with us anymore, a chap called Stuart Hall, not the bad one. This is a, a, a wonderful guy. He and I shared the same love of Jethro the comedian. And we used to spar with all the different uh, jokes that we could remember of Jethro. So it was a, a jolly, wonderful, wonderful shoot. The other thing was, if I may say about that, I'd finished the bill and it was some months later and I got a phone call from a, a press guy and he said, look, I, do you want to go out for lunch? 
chat about, you know, whatever. And I said, yes, all right, but don't dig the dirty on things. She said, oh, no, 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 just have a lunch. I said, where do you want to meet? He said, we'll meet in Croydon. We'll drive to Dover and we'll go to Dieppe and have lunch in Dieppe. I said, all right, will do me. So we went over there. I'm in Dieppe and I got a phone call from my agent. And he said, right, uh, there's this show they want you to guest on the show. I went, oh, really? Thank you very much. And I said, what is it? He said, the city show. And I said, get away. <laughs> I said, this city show? I've just been four years on the bill, don't you know? And he said, well, Jack, Jack D's just done one. I said, get me on. Yeah. And that was it. It was nice because Rowley had got Joe Dow and Larry Dan in just after they'd finished. So he obviously liked his pals from the bill and thought, well, as soon as yeah. they're free. I mean, Joe Dow actually pretty much played his character. He had a police car chase with Sweep. They you do. Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now you are no stranger to writing for children because you're a published children's author. Yes, I wrote a book for my son, my first son, Andrew, called Otto the Octopus. And it was all about a little boy who, who stayed with his grandparents during the summer holidays. We never know if he had parents or not, but it was just about this little fella. And uh, when he was there, his granddad's a fisherman, and he found he could speak the secret language of the sea, befriended a sea octopus, and he would help the creatures of the sea, and they would help him, and vice versa. But it was a bit before its time, because it was all about environmentally, this is going back to, my goodness, 1992, something like that. And it was it was about environmentally friendly stuff and don't throw rubbish in the sea and to the children, cold breath, the shark, got toothache, because eat all the wrong stuff and all this sort of stuff. So it was, that was it. I wrote two and I had three I never published because I went on to something else as usual. And um, yeah, so there's three. And then we wants to publish another three books and republish the first lot. And Chris Ellison, who played Burnside, who's godfather to my eldest Andrew anyway he did the illustrations yes that's fantastic yeah so it was really nice we're still I mean we're still quite close he lives over the hill from me here Chris and I go back my god uh, this is long before the bill I knew him I was doing a series up in ATV as it was called then we wanted to become central television at Boreham Wood and I was doing this uh, series with the car industry and Chris came up to a couple of episodes we got chatting and and he said, where do you live? And I said, well, I'm moving to Brighton. He said, oh, I live there. I, I won't keep doing his daft voice. But he said, next time you're down, he said, well, where are you moving to? And I said, Toronto Terrace. He said, oh, I live in Holland Street. He streets away. He said, next time you're down, not me, i go for a pint. We did. And he is married to Anita, who happened to be at the same drama college as my wife, Cookie, and they knew each other. And they had got married in St. Paul's Covent Garden. We had got married in St. Paul's Covent Garden. So there was a lot of hook up there. So we became great friends. And you're both artists. Yes, he's. A, he, I mean, he went to art school, I think, and all that sort of stuff. I, I'm just, I'm self-taught. And more recently, you've continued writing. You, you've written your autobiography, which I've absolutely adored reading. Oh, thank you. I've been laughing out loud on the train and, and you know, people no. looking up. So I've been holding the book up as I've been laughing so that they can they can get on Amazon and order it, you know. Thank um, you. you become amazing. <laughs> So what what was that process like, and what what made you decide? Yeah, I'm never when people say, "Oh, you're resting." I never rest because if I'm not acting, I like to be doing something creative. Yeah, and I've always enjoyed writing. And uh, I'd come to the end of a screenplay I'd written. Funnily enough, it never got done. I never seemed to do anything, and they just go on my shelf. And uh, I thought, what can I do next? I didn't have an idea in my head, but what I did know what I did read was that every writer does something creative in his writing every day. It might be a line of a poem, a chapter of a book, a letter to a friend, but he always does or she does something every day to keep it going. 
been writers, some write in the middle of the night, some in the half piss, some, you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, what can I write? I must write something. I'll write a bit about me until I get an idea. And about 160 odd pages later, I thought, geez, I think there's a book here. So, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of shelved it, yeah, and I, I let it for ages. And then eventually I dug it out and I reread it. I think this is quite interesting, this. And, it, you know, it's marginally funny. So I, I rewrote it and then got it published, yeah. So you can buy it on Amazon, folks. It's called I'm Clear, What's It Like Up Your End? And the reason for that title, you will not know until the last chapter. But don't read the last chapter first. Try and bear with it. (laughs) I mean, we've just talked briefly about technology before we recorded, but I suppose it's quite handy. I mean, there's a lot of waiting when you're an actor. So presumably making the most of that time when you're either waiting for the job or when you've got the job and you're waiting in between takes, it, it must be nice to be able to jot away or, or or draw or illustrate. So, but there's a lot of actors in your profession who don't have another string to their bow. Yeah. Do Do you find? I mean, you've you've got so much wonderful advice, but not but told in a in a humorous way for for young actors today to to read and and to learn from. What is the main difference you see having been doing this now for a wonderful amount of time? What What is the difference in a young actor trying to get established today when how it was in your day and are you do people ask you for if you're doing a whole b and you've got a young young cast that you're working with do, do they do they try and soak up information or i'm going to tell you a funny story and then i'll try and answer this in a sensible way <laughs> um some years ago i was uh, working with a scottish actor we're doing a corporate thing and we got chatting and we're kind of the same age i was about five or six years old then. and we got talking about the Scottish theatre scene, which I was very much part of in the 70s. And uh, we hooked on to the fact that we both knew Wally Carr. Wally Carr was the most wonderful Damon Panto, a very, very, very good comedy actor and a lovely chap. And he said, yeah, I was doing the show with Wally. And I was a young actor. I was doing my second job at the time. And he said, I went to his dressing room to ask advice about acting. So I knocked the door and he said, come in, son, come in. Set doing everything. And of course, Wally's dressing table was like a chemist shop because it had everything to stop him getting through it, sore throats and all the rest of it you can get during Panther. And he said, where's it, son? What's the problem? And he was a big fella. And he said, well, Mr. Carl, can I see a script? I, I look at it and it's just like little words on a page. Aye. And I, 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 and I say to myself, how, how do I make this work? I mean, I, I tried to make it into a character. Where do I start? What do I do? What's the first? Oh, Mr. Carr, what's the first thing you think of before you start? And Wally looked at him and he said, teeth in or teeth out. <laughs> and that was it. In other words, does he wear his false teeth or no? That was it. That was the start. Do you know what? I, I, to any young actor that's starting off, just simplify it. Don't complicate it. Don't See, in my day, you, there wasn't a career structure as such, but you were expected to do theatre. You were expected to learn your trade before you dipped your toes into working with a camera and films and what have you. So while there wasn't a structural path, there was a kind of route, as it were. And that's that's the old-fashioned route. Nowadays, I think a lot of the youngsters, they're aiming for the fame before they know actually the basics of the business and you know how it all works. Mm. I would say to them, make sure you've got a very friendly bank manager when you start <laughs> and an understanding one. And um, just, if you, just remember everything you do on stage, screen, whatever. If you believe, they believe. In other words... If you do your homework, you can't go wrong. It's all about preparing, preparing, preparing. 
And if you if you go in with that preparation all done, uh, then you, you should be absolutely fine. And then you use your breathing to control your nerves and all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's not rocket science, but I've always said this is the most crappy business in the world. It really is a crap business, but it's a fantastic uh, job craft. Mm. It really is fascinating. But the business side of it is pretty turgid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You share some wonderful experiences throughout the book. But I, I love your very first experience of being on the stage. When I was reading it, I, I had the butterflies for your young self. Oh, is this when I was at school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A man for all seasons. I love it. That was it, yes, yes. And uh, standing in the wings. And I was really quite confident. I only had one line to say. And the reason I got it was because I wanted to <laughs> go back a little bit. At school, there was a couple of guys, Ronnie Christie and Alex Norton, and, I, and they, they got off school to do pantomime. They went to tellies, and I didn't know what, what they were getting off. I said, well, it's just scam boys. You're, you know, you're missing weeks of school. I like that. They said, oh, we're actors. Actors? What, in what way? So they told me. So I thought, well, this is for me. So I joined the school drama club, <laughs> and the first show was um, A Man for All Seasons. And all I had to say was Master Richie uh, Sir Thomas. And I stood in the wings, and seconds before I went on, the stage manager said, by the way, we're changing when you go on. I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Christie, the director, said, go on for three beats after that guy says that. And that. I said, what do you mean? So he tapped me in the show. I walked on stage. He said, not yet. Drag me off, then push me back on. Well, that was it. That was my first effort. What a debacle. I mean, it really was. It was, it was a terrifying ordeal. So why I ever went into it, I don't know. But about 35 years later, I was playing the bad guy in an episode of Tiger. It was a, a superb episode, actually. And the scene was at uh, Glasgow Airport. And it was me and Alex Norton who was playing Taggart. And I sat looking at him, and in between takes, I said, you know, you're the reason I'm in this stupid bloody game. He said, what do you mean? And I told him about he used to go off school a lot, and I thought, I'll join you. <laughs> oh, love yeah. it. So that's it. And in fact, I've just we worked together recently doing dubbing for films and things. So we bump into each other about once a year. He's a good lad, lovely guy. As you got established into the business and you did lots of theatre in Scotland, it, it must have been quite nerve-wracking to then move down to London where then everything happened. I mean, now, nowadays it's a little bit more spread out, isn't it? But that must have been, you know, leaving home and... I, I, I'd left home, per se, when I, was, uh, when I left drama school. And, you know, I was a jobbing actor. I was living in digs, wherever it was. So I was quite used to being away from uh, Glasgow. I was in Dundee for three years, Edinburgh for years, et cetera, et cetera. And it was when I went back to guest, because when I was at Dundee for three years, then you leave, and you might not go back for a year and a half. Anyway, I went back as a guest down the show, and there was a casting director, the only casting director from London that would come up once a year to see what was happening up north, which was wonderful. Then he called Joan Brown, and she was at uh, ATV, from ATV Studios. And she left a message saying, uh, you know, contact me. Anyway, cut a long story short, she contacted a London agent who came up to see me. And after the show, the London agent said, I'd like you on my books. Oh. And I had the audacity to say, well, I'm going to see another couple of London agents. So I'll give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> so I made my way to London. Saw the other couple of London agents. So it didn't take me on, I don't think. So I went with that, with that lot. Um, and a big agency. And maybe that was my mistake. I should have gone with a small, hungry agency. If it's always a danger. It's all, you know, I don't have a great, I don't have the Adonis look. You know, I'm not the Steve McQueen or Paul Newman sort of look. I look like a Maris pipe of potato at the wrong angle. But, <laughs> but, so I didn't have that for the screen. But I knew I had something else to offer. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, how am I going to how am I going to crack this one? And uh, anyway, cut a long story short, I was out of work for now on oh, four, five, six months. It was it was a terrible time until I got my first telly, and then it made sense. I mean, I would go in for a job, for, you know, for example. The agent would send me to see all these casting directors in 1976. And I had spent the previous five years literally finishing one job on the Saturday, starting the next one Monday, and I was never at work. It was just so wonderful. So when I came to London and hit this you know, unemployment thing, I thought, what's this all about? I don't understand this one. Mm. So that, that, was a, that was a hard nut to crack, I have to say. But I'd be going up for work, and they say, Tom, you've done a hell of a lot of work in the five years you've been in the business. So, yes, yes. And they say, that, we think that's terrific, but can you get rid of your Scottish accent? I thought, Chris, I thought I had been. So I realised that what I would say to young actors, be honest, and I would go in speaking as me, and then if they say, can you do an accent? I said, well, give me the script. Well, give me the newspaper. And I said, well, what? Yeah, boo, boo, boo. And uh, I get the part. That yeah. way. So I thought, be, be honest, be absolutely honest, because if you hide behind something, they'll see that. Yes. Uh, yeah. And the and, and the camera sees that. So you've got to be really work uh, more honestly, I think, in a sense, but differently in front of a camera. That's for sure. An early TV role for you, and I think this is your first TV detective where you do conceal your Scottish accent. Was Tales of the Unexpected. Oh, God, I come over quite camp in that. I don't know what happened there. Um, yes, Tales of Unexpected. That was uh, in the one called Decoy. That's right. That was uh, with Susan Penhaligon and Tim Woodward. Woodward. Yeah. I always remember we, we hired a boat in Norfolk Broads and everybody went by car and Tim said, well, you get in the back of my bike. So I went off and, my God, that thing can go. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I was amazed that it arrived. But uh, what a lovely guy. What a lovely guy. Yeah, it, it was a nice shoot. Now, the thing was, during that shoot, uh, because I had proposed to my wife, Cookie, and she said yes, crazy lady. And um, so, But then I got a job. So we had decided to get married on a Sunday in case I got a job. It's always the way. If you want a part, you know, book a holiday. <laughs> so I got a job and I said, to him, well, I'm getting married on, on a Sunday. Um, and he said, that's all right. Uh, can we send a, a photographer? And I said, well, it's a private. Said, well, it'll just be one. Well, the word had got out, and when we came out of St. Paul's Covent Garden, there was a bank of photographers. Oh. There was a paper that we had got for the, for the, for the ceremony, and uh, all the Japanese and American tourists who had been on the piazza, the other side, they all came round to hear the pipes. So we came out, there was about a thousand people cheering us as we came out of the church. It was quite oh, extraordinary. That's magic. But you see, I met my wife at Dundee. I, was, I had left Dundee for some time. I got back up to guessing a show up there. And I was just about to open the show, and the next cast had come up from London for the next show. And I'd been told about this lovely actress called Cookie, and uh, by a great friend of mine, John Scrimmager, who's a musical director. And he said, it's a lovely laugh coming up. Her name's Cookie Wicks, and she's lovely. You keep your hands off her. She's a friend of mine. And to Cookie, he had said, there's a Scottish actor in the company, <laughs> Johnny Cockburn. You, you watch out for him. So that was, so as she passed in the corridor, I bumped into her, I said, oh, are you Cookie Wicks? Yes. I said, oh, I said, John Spring just sent his love. Really? I just saw him yesterday. She sauntered off. I went, oh, that's that then. Uh-huh. Anyway, three weeks later, I, I, I was back down in London and um, in a pub. And she had, was in the show that she had opened. And I phoned backstage at halftime. I speak to Cookie and she comes and said, hello. I said, hello. She said, who's that? Tommy. Tommy. And I said, Tommy Kotcher. Oh, right. Where are you? I'm in a pub. Oh, yes. I said, no. Why are you phoning me? I said, well, I'm not pissed. Will you marry me? 
And she said yes. So that was 38 years ago this year. No way. Wow. So that was that. And now we've got two wonderful sons, one married and one engaged. So we're very pleased. That's fantastic. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, she should, she should have gone to Specsavers, but what the heck. Eh? <laughs> well, I suppose it's, I mean, my, my wife's a lawyer, you know, we're, we're, we're chalk and cheese on media. She's a lawyer and we interest each, I mean, I don't understand a word of what she says when she's trying to do some deal on some property park or things like that. I don't understand a word what my wife says and run the same business, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I suppose there's an understanding if you've, you've both, you're both actors, you understand the, the highs and the lows and the insecurity, Cause, you know, as you say, it's, it can be a horrible business but um you, you, you have as, as cookie says we have two families it's when you're at home that's your family when you're working that's your family when cookie was working in the theater and um they all her friends were all the cast were having a night out and they invited me along i said no no that's your family cookie i don't know them i'd be i'd be i, I wouldn't feel right because you have a great camaraderie among the cast it's so tight and so good. And I would be like a stranger. And I know the language and all that, how they talk, but uh, it's different. So we respect that. You know. Mm. Well, there was a very well-established Sun Hill family when you joined the cast yes. in, in 92. Yeah. And, and yeah. that must have been, I mean, we'll talk about how and why you got the role in a, in a minute, but, but that must have been pretty nerve-wracking stepping into it, a very well-established show. Because you were the first new... Were you the first CID character to replace an outgoing cast member? Yeah, it was, it was really weird how it all worked because my agent called me and he said, the casting director at the time, I won't mention her name, but she was a lovely lass, and she said to me, well, that's my agent talking, she said, Tom should be in the bill, you know. And as my agent said, well, it's not entirely up to Tom, you know, you're the casting director. Anyway, he told me this, and I said, well, what do we do? He said, well, we just wait. So eventually... Same thing, about four weeks later, he said, Tom should be in the bill. And he said, well, what, what should he do? And I had worked with this casting director before. She put me in a, a lovely series before. And uh, to get in touch with her, so I contacted her. I said, look, apparently you said. And she said, yes. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, write to this particular producer. And I did, and I sent my show reel. That was on Friday. On the Monday, I got the call to go and see them on the Wednesday, I think it was. And I walked in. And he said to me, and it was Michael Chapman, the exec producer, sitting there. And I wasn't sure if he had his gout that day, but you can never tell with him. But I was sitting there, and he said, now, even if we want you in, uh, you have to prove yourself by doing a, a, a screenplay. A, a screen, what do you call it? You know? Oh, a screen oh. test. Thank you. You know more than I do. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at him. And I'm usually quite quick to fire back, get stuffed. I've been in this business, you know, God knows how dare you. I've worked for Thames. I did this. And, for the first time in my life, I said, oh, shut up, Tommy, and just say yes. I said, no, of course I'll do one. And uh, the following week I did the screen test and I was in, and that was that. Interesting time. Yeah. I intended to only go in for two years. That wow. was my plan. But you know what? It was the first time in my life I had a, an acting job where you get holiday pay, you know, things yeah. like you get a fortnight off paid, fully paid, you know, in the summer. And my wife and I and never had that before. You holiday pay, and then Christmas, same thing. It was like a proper job, but you, you know, so you get seduced into that. And when they came at me after three years and said, "Do you want a one, two, or three-year contract?" I said, "Well, 
what's the difference? Well, there's more money in a three-year contract. Well, I think that's where I'll go. But if I if I'd want to leave, and they said if you don't want to stay, you can leave. And anyway, I left after four years, and that was that. But we got. I mean, I had good mates in there. Uh, Kevin, God bless him, he's gone now. But uh, Tosh Lyons, he and I had such a giggle. I used to go on Fat Boy, and he called me Double Chin, which is really nice, pretty cool. And uh, we had such fun. We had there was a visiting actress who was rather well known, and um, she came with her bloodhound. And on when you're out on vacation, you, you sit in the Winnebago. But uh, and she was always wondering why we wouldn't join her, me and Kev, because it was a, it was like a three-hander this particular episode. And it was because she never washed this, this bloody bloodhound. I don't think I did a bath from day one. <laughs> and we wouldn't go near the Winnie Bagel because the bloodhound was lying around. <laughs> but Kevin and I found it difficult sometimes because we make make each other titter very easily. Uh, but when we got when we were working together and focused properly, they were the most really interesting episodes. And also, I love the episodes where it wasn't necessarily. No, I did, of course, I love my fellow players, but working with visiting actors were, was absolutely fascinating because each one was bringing something new to the show and you were having to prove yourself each time. But there was one actor and his name is Idris Elba and I had to do it as an episode with him and nobody knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. He knew who he was, thank God. And uh, the scene was that I had to knock this door. He opens the door and I say, your name Jack such and such. And he says, yes. And I say, I'm DC Woods. I'm arresting you. And before I get sentenced out, he goes to do a runner. I grab him, cuff him, and nick him. And that was it. It's pretty straightforward. So I rang the bell. The door opens. Idris is standing there. I said, are you Charlie? What is it? He does makes to do a runner. I grab him by the arm. But he takes off. He's a big guy. I couldn't hold him. My feet didn't touch the ground. I was actually holding onto his arm with my feet off the ground. And he was doing about 40 miles an hour on this walkway. And that took Eventually we stopped and I cut. I said, we're, just, we're supposed to be acting here. <laughs> I said, there's no way in the world I'd be able to stop you anyway. I'd have to shoot you. I said, look, just, just remember when we take off, just slow down a bit, mate, and kid on and just kid on. Cold acting. And then and he was with, he went on to be with an agent of mine at the time and I ended up with the same agent. It's quite fun. And he was a lovely, a lovely guy even then. I haven't seen him since, but I do know that he did laugh about that story because my son, my youngest son's a tennis coach and he coached somebody that worked with him and, and it was mentioned and he laughed at the fraud. Oh. I mean, he's built, he's built like a tank and he looks after himself. And my God, you know, you'd have to be, you know, Mike, Mike Tyson, you know, to stop him. But um, he's, good. He's, a, he's a pretty good actor. The other thing is that what happens to visiting actors, and as I say, they're the ones that I really enjoyed working with a lot. Uh, was that occasionally, if you had to do, a, say, a fight scene, and it'd be me and wing, Mark wing, that wing it, sorry, sorry, Mark, and, and we'd go into this bar, and there would be the guy, he'd see us, and he'd do a run, I remember this very well, and he'd do a runner, we'd grab him, get him on the floor, cuff him in, they come and take him out. Pretty straightforward, and occasionally we'd have to wear padding and all that, which we didn't like to do, because it got in the way, and it could actually create injury if you weren't, you know, because you don't have the same mobility. Mm. Anyway, I don't know. This guy had been told by the director, I heard him, the director whispering in his ear, listen, these guys, they, they, they do this every day. They're pretty tough. You go for it. Don't let them stop you. Okay? And I kind of heard the back end of that. And I thought, no, just just a minute, pal. I'm not, no. Next thing, action. Well, this guy took off. And, I mean, it was all we could do. It was a fantastic scene, but my 
Right, it's ten at Frank. And I thought this is supposed to be acting, you know, supposed to kid on, you know. But it's a, it's a, it's a crazy game. <laughs> You'd been a guest actor yourself in the bill. Oh God, yeah. Stealing cars and nursery rhymes. The episode was called, and it was directed by a guy called Paul Harrison, who I'd worked with out at uh, Lovely Guy uh, out at uh, Elstree Studios doing another series. Oh, that was the car industry series when I met Chris Elson. And uh, I remember I was playing a really grubby character, and I said, can I eat some beans? He said, yeah. But I didn't tell him I was going to eat them out of the can. And I'd smeared them on my face, you know. I was just going for it. It was just, yeah. uh, it was a small part. I thought, I'm going to make myself remembered in this. So yeah. much so that they took me in properly. But there you go. You, you get a, a, a nice bit of Scottish in there. You say, I'll not have that nut in my hoose <laughs> when you're talking, <laughs> referring to the dog. Nick Is that right? Yeah. In terms of Alan Woods, I mean, what was the character breakdown you received and what appealed to you about playing him? You don't get one. <laughs> Basically, it's up to you what you make of it. And then they'll build a... Well, that was what happened to me anyway. And then you build on that. The only character bit they said was that you're... you're really heavy into rugby and you sort of get everybody involved and get a rugby team going and in truth I don't even know the rules of rugby <laughs> I, I haven't a bloody clue about the game I think it's a bit you know dot and carry one I'm a football guy I love the football side so very quickly that line of brief was, was dropped thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rugby shot and somebody rugby tackles me I'll run I thought no man that's not me folks you know <laughs> What a lovely man. There'll be more gold dust and giggles from the mighty Tom Cotter next time in part two. Stay tuned and Merry Christmas.